Accenture is a pretty large company in the technology space. They service many of the Fortune 500 and their global equivalents, um, and they have about six times the employees of well-known companies like Google. Uh, Accenture recently conducted a study of their own, pooled in with some combined expertise from economists and other AI researchers around the longer-term consequences of artificial intelligence on economies around the world. This week in the Tech Emergence Podcast, I catch up with Paul Daughtry, who is the CTO of Accenture and has been with them since their very beginning, before they broke off from Anderson Consulting many, many years ago. We spoke in a coffee shop at the AI Summit here in San Francisco, so if you hear a little bit of clinking and clacking in the background, that's because, again, we were doing this live from a coffee shop. But I spoke with Paul about what they learned from this study and what they consider to be some of the more serious consequences of automation and AI on the job market globally. They themselves, with nearly 400,000 employees should be thinking about this and basically anybody considering the future growth their company should as well. So, Paul, Mark, I'm happy to have both you guys here. Uh, Paul, I'll I'll direct this one to you first just because I just saw your presentation uh, here at the conference at the AI Summit. Talk about gauging the economic impact of artificial intelligence. That's an undertaking. Economists involved, statisticians involved, machine learning domain experts involved. What are some of the nuances that went into measuring what that impact will be in the future? How do you calibrate something that big? Yeah, that's it's a good question. We came up with this report on the uh, the, uh, the impact of AI. The simple question we asked was, how will AI impact business, and what will its impact be on the economy? Simple question, but there wasn't a lot of data that we could find out there on it. There isn't. So we had our uh, researchers and economists worked on it. We worked with Frontier Research, which is a Economist uh, organization of economists to help us do the research, and you know we looked at twelve countries that make up about half of the world's GDP, and those are countries where you can find the right sorts of data. So the yeah. kinds of things you need to look at are what's the structure of their economy, what kinds of uh, industry do they have, what kinds of uh, what's their uh, capacity for research and development, what uh, kind of ecosystems they have around innovation to spread innovation more quickly, and you look at you look at the underlying economic data, and then you look at a lot, a lot of those factors, and you start to dig into it a little deeper and say. For categories of jobs, uh, in categories of work that are important in their economy, how can AI technologies change those, and how will it change the productivity, and then how will that drive underlying economic improvements? That's the the nature of the way the analysis worked, and you do find differences by country as you look at that. And uh, but fundamentally, it, it led to the conclusion that uh, even with some you know conservative assumptions, that we have the potential to double economic growth rates in those economies uh, over the next couple of decades by application of artificial intelligence. And a you know, key reason for that is by improving human productivity up to 40% in, uh, in the way that they do their work. Got it. And, and, uh, and I did see that number. I imagine different kinds of work, because in, in looking at the brief of the report that I was able to see, you know, we have different projections for the, the ROI, if you will, on, on economic growth in different countries. Uh, you know, maybe Japan having a little bit more of an edge projected in the next 10 years, possibly than you know, a Germany or France, this might have to do with the types of industries involved. What what are the industries that maybe are more primed than others? Are there some that are kind of stodgy, businesses that might not see the lift? Well, we, we do see application across industries, and I'll ask Mark to weigh in a little bit here in a minute, but you see very uh, kind of marked differences across countries in terms of how they're positioned for technologies like artificial intelligence. One of the things we looked at, look at for example, is a factor called national absorptive capacity, which mm. is how quickly a country 
can absorb and spread the impact of a new innovation. And uh, so the U.S. Would, would score very highly on this metric with innovation, with, with uh, capital, with investment, with education, learning, the flexibility of the, you know, the workforce. We can absorb and, and uh, move technology very quickly, very different than, than certain countries in Europe or other parts of the world that might have either labor constraints, uh, might not have the, the capital to object into the ecosystem of the companies, et cetera. So that's a big factor that drives a difference. And then the then the other question is, what's the, the nature of the underlying industry? Yeah. So that's why we see in, in Japan, you'll notice in our report, we single out as a potential uh, tripling in, in uh, the growth rate in Japan from 1% to about 3% uplift in, yep. in, G, in GDP growth because uh, they have a, a pretty strong absorptive capacity. They've got strong research, strong R&D, uh, strong uh, industrial base. And um, and if they leverage that in the right way, they can drive you know strong uplift around the industrial sector and some of their other sectors and driving this growth impact as a result of AI, different than some countries which uh, either don't have that industrial base or will get or have the uh, potential get stalled out by the, their ability to push innovation through their economy. Yeah, and, and I guess you know you look at um, America. Obviously, we've got we have you know our GDP is decent, you know, relative to the, to the world at least at present. But we we have this this very large you know country to deal with. Japan, maybe um, I, you know I think the, the gripe a lot of the times that internet speeds in different parts of Europe are so much faster than America. By golly, why are we so slow? I think it's because you know, we have such a, a big landmass. Is is it possible that the fact that we kind of have these coasts and then this middle? Like, is, is the population density a factor maybe there? I mean, Japan's packing a ton of people, a lot of high tech into a pretty small area. Is that, is that what aids in, like, the, di the disbursement, or is it a lot less about the geography? I think geography has an impact in some industries and in some, some aspects of this. For example, in, in B2C models, uh, business-to-consumer yep. you know, types of industries, countries like the U.S. and countries like China, have an advantage because the size of the consumer populations means you can bring a new business model scale quickly. You can bring a, a Baidu or a Tencent to scale in China. You can yes. bring a Google or Amazon to scale in uh, in the U.S. very quickly. And that's yep. applying to many other sectors of the economy because of the size of the market. Uh, in Europe, you, you struggle with that, and Europe's working on that through many of the you know, data protection, harmonization, and things that are happening across the, the continent. But that's a factor in consumer-oriented industries. In the industrial industries, what we see is the policy itself can have a big impact. In Germany, for example, they have a program called Industry 4.0, championed by uh, Chancellor Merkel, yes, yes, which yes. is bringing together not just large industry, but the, the, the Mittelstand, which are the, the smaller companies together, to look at how you accelerate innovation through the industrial sector in Germany. And those kinds of initiatives make a big impact on their ability to drive growth. Count on the Germans to come up with a word. For the <laughs> right? well, I guess it's their I, language. I, I, I wish I wish I could come up with a word. Whenever I do, people say my my grammar is terrible. I wish I could just make yeah. them up. So some yes, yeah, sometimes as you mentioned, it's the, it's the regulatory side of things. Um, maybe this is a Mark question. You guys can let me know who wants to tackle this one. But you, you brought up in Japan industry a lot. Obviously, yeah. I'm I'm not super familiar with the entirety of, of the Japanese economy. Uh, manufacturing some of it they do a lot of electronics a lot of industry as you as you'd mentioned um what are some of the facets of what's happening there how how, how they make money how they've grown as an economy that might leave them more primed than a france or something to grow i can explain that so so in our lab so we do apply re research and one thing that we found is that across the different research activities that we have we believe that what we call industry 5.0 which is not like 4.0 is where we are today but the lab wants to stretch the boundaries and go to 5.0 we kind of believe that all research activities that we're doing can be bottled together by telling a story end-to-end -end about manufacturing, whether you build a product or you maintain a product. And you know, the, the, the really good story about it is that doesn't apply just for just an industry that would be like just like, let's say, manufacturing for automotive industry. 
it applies for absolutely every type of industry. Whether you talk about life science and you just design basically a molecule for a drug, whether you do that for uh, oil and gas and it's building a nuclear plant or like, or like a refinery or a well, yep. whether it's nuclear plant, it, it applies also for telcos. You're going to be able to basically set the box and everything. What we see here is that if you look at artificial intelligence, and you can extend a little bit the boundaries because it's a very multidisciplinary approach where you have a bit of image recognition, pattern recognition, machine learning. You could say also like 3D visualization, all the stuff and everything. You can bake that into artificial yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. What we're going to be able to see is that by combining IoT, machine learning, 3D scanning, 3D modeling, all those different things, you know, you're going to be able to change the way we build product and the way we manufacture product. And what's very interesting to see is that if you look at the manufacturing, it's all the product we're going to build. The flexibility of this product will not come from the hardware. It will come from the software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of all the sensors you're going to put into that. And eventually, you know, you will learn from the sensor and you'll program the sensor even at the time after you have released basically the product. Look at Tesla, you know, what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're building basically cars, they're putting tons of sensors there. And eventually, they will upgrade the firmware to version 7.0, where some sensor is going to be activated to do something that, you know, they were not thinking yeah, about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where is the flexibility. And Got we believe it. that whether we talk about China, whether we talk about Japan, whether we talk about Germany, everything, there's a big agenda there. Interesting. So it, it sort of reminds me of any of these big platform companies, your Amazons and your Googles, probably are picking up on any various sundry uh, types of behaviors, patterns of behaviors, and they might find a use case, some utility in you know, one particular app or one particular function that they could add that they can see people are trying to use. And unless they were picking up on that and detecting that, they wouldn't have even had the opportunity to build it. But like you said, it wasn't built from scratch. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So found opportunity. And this is this is one of those big, you know, the previous cliche is, is this sort of digitization of, of the enterprise. I guess there's a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, of stodgy enterprises. Uh, out there in the world now, there's this whole notion, and and, and uh, it's it's almost got its own buzzwordiness of shedding the light on this dark data. Like, okay, well, if, if we can get if there's sensors out there all over the place, if we're picking up on it, detecting patterns all over the place, we can glean value from that. It, it seems to me as though it's it's almost harder. The reason maybe that's become a cliche. Let me know if you gentlemen agree. It's almost harder to give any advice beyond that because the creative process per business is going to be so different. You need executives yeah. and engineers from that company to say, hey, if we could have data on these 12 things we don't now and add sensors in these ways and we listen to it for a year, yeah. uh, what could we build? It feels like it has to be so unique per company. Is that is that right? I think that's right. I think that's why we need a you know, different formula for business. And I think the you know, the way businesses have worked in the 20th century aren't going to work going forward, you know, for the remainder of the 21st century because you need to, you know, imagine the business differently. And we use the word imagination, uh, reimagining, you know, business yep. and business processes, which is a, you know, a lot, many people think is a strange word to use in business, imagine, but that's really what we, what we need to think about is how do we think about the, the business model, think about each of your business processes, look at the data that's available and new data you might acquire. And uh, think about the, the, the way your employees and consumers work with systems and machines and, and mix that all together and create a different formula for your business. And that's reimagining your business. And we believe that's the era we're moving into, which is a different era than we've been in. You know, I guess in some way it reminds me of this idea that, oh, you know, wouldn't the, the future be great if, if the dull and the boring-ish kind of automatable stuff was automated and we could just think. Yes. And this, this almost sounds, I mean, I, I hate to be cheesebally about it. I'm, I'm by no means... Um, you know, blindly optimistic, but it, but it almost sounds as though 
That is a very abstract kind of human thinking that we're talking about there. Yeah. And that, that is even a bit of that. A no, bit I love, of that. I love yeah. the discussion here. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about AI, machine learning, taking away jobs from people and everything. Sure. We, we don't believe that. I mean, we believe that this machine learning, this new robots and everything will help basically people to delegate basically this robot to do the, the core of their activities they don't like to do. And then so they can focus more on the passion, what they want to do, when they want to like. It's very interesting is that it's to try to reappropriate the stuff you really like to do. And I think it's for me that uh, a great opportunity for people. Um, I was giving a pitch uh, last week about how machine learning also is going to change the world and, and where we want to put people at the, at the middle of it. You know, there's a lot of things that people don't think about, but let's look at platforms like Google Translate. Google Translate is an amazing platform because why? You can leverage this kind of platform basically to integrate, for example, refugees coming to countries to learn about the language and then to get integrated faster. They get integrated faster, they get job faster and everything. Nobody thought about that, but people are using it. And there's a great video, basically, if you want to check that out, basically on YouTube, that exactly explains how they did that for Iran refugees that came to Canada and how their kids basically have been able to learn so fast. Yeah. I think we're going to see many examples of this. Yeah, that's what we talk about, changing the way the world works and lives, and I think that's the, you know, that's the potential of this technology. Yeah. Big time. I, you know, before we go into our last topic about this whole notion of, you know, we're talking about people, about having people first in this process, which is something that you guys have sort of emphasized in how Accenture's thinking through transforming companies. You guys work with many of the biggest businesses in the world. Uh, you're, you're right up there with them, actually. Before moving on to that, this, this notion of, Reimagining this, uh, whether it's how to leverage Google's uh, technologies or, or how to leverage new data that we collect in our own business, how it would seem to me as though the only way to get that reimagining juice flowing would be to see case studies, tangible examples, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to think through it. Where does one find that now? We do our best at, at Tech Emergence to, to try to compile those. We talk to so many executives and say, how are you using this? How are you using this? And, and aim to put the pieces together. I mean, other than just Google searching, where does one glean the, the sort of, you know, the basic building blocks of what these ideas could be, the case studies, the, the insights there about what other companies are doing? Yeah, the, uh, we're, we're at the early stage of this, and there's a lot more we to come. Are. I think the, the, the challenge is finding the patterns, you know, so, uh, and that's something we're very focused on is uh, collecting all the work we're doing across yep. our own company, and we're doing things inside, you know, applying, you know, this to ourselves as well, and, um, and we're looking, you know, outside and collecting as much as we can, and then... Uh, at the early stages of something like this, you, know, you have to apply, you know, patterns across industries. So uh, we can we applied uh, artificial intelligence in the drug discovery and clinical trials process in pharmaceuticals. What can you learn about that? That might apply in the product development process for a, a consumer goods company. And you have to, you know, look at how you can learn from, you know, from one application applied to another. So that's like the stage of this we're in, and. Um, and it's a stage of experimentation also. And there's a phrase we use uh, that, uh, that I think is, speaks very well to how to approach this with AI, which is, you know, think big, which is the imagination, then st start small and find it, you know, something you can apply to and prepare to scale fast and really move it out through enterprise. And as you find examples, you can do that. You know, imagine, you know, think big, imagine, start small, and then you know, scale through your organization. Yeah, and I think uh, gleaning the hopefully more and more companies will be, as, as you folks are, trying to collate where these use cases lie, um, where they can be leveraged. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, it's such a nascent beginning domain. There's a little bit more 
oh my goodness, won't this be exciting? Then there is, hey, how's everybody doing this? There's a lot more. The how is the big thing we're focused on yes, now. Yes, so I think yes. there is a more of a cookbook and more of a formula for how to think about applying this and, and the, to reimagine your business. That's yeah. something we're, we're in the process of working on. And time. I think, as mentioned by Paul, I mean, we work across five industries and, and then the fact that basically there's kind of a chemistry and then we can combine basically the different thinking models and everything across industries is something that we want to do. So you need to really decide out those different industries so that basically you can reuse some of the technology innovations that have been in one industry to be using another one. This is something that we're doing. As the last point, which is a dynamic you touched on in your speech earlier today, Paul, um, the, the notion of putting people first, you know, Mark had touched on, you know, at Accenture, we're, we're not as nervous about AI putting people out of jobs. We've had a lot of technology uh you know, pushes in, 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 the, in the past and we will in the future. There's people with all different thoughts on that. I know for you folks, you know, people first is, is how you're aiming to facilitate AI and, and sort of kind of keep that as your framework moving forward. What does that look like in practice? Is this, this is about, um, you know, augmenting human efforts. Maybe what are some examples there? You guys have your eyes in the field. What does people first mean when it looks, when it's, when it's in real life, I should say? Yeah, no, I think let's just give an example. And it, it um, I think the promise is this 40% productivity improvement. How do we make people more effective so they can do what they want to do and free their time to do, as you said earlier, more creative, more, uh, more value-added work? I'll just give you an example. That may be the best way to illustrate yeah. it, which is a large manufacturer, one of the largest manufacturers in the world that we worked with. And we looked at their assembly line workers and uh, developed a solution that uh, equipped them with augmented uh, reality uh, headsets that had laser-guided precision assembly capabilities to help uh, help them assemble, combined with machine learning capabilities that learn about their performance and best practice on how to do the job. And that this technology allowed these workers to do broader sets of work, to increase their capability faster. So it was good for the workers. The company loved it because they could uh, advance the productivity of the workers and get better quality output faster. And uh, it was just a great application of the technology. And that's the promise we see with the technology, that's, uh, which is a win-win-win in that case. And we use the phrase... Uh, you know, if you apply this right, it's about making humans super, not making superhumans. And that's what we really believe the, you know, <laughs> time, the potential Time AI will is. tell which of those comes about. <laughs> yep. um, but uh, but to, to touch on your point, I like that one because it reminds me um, in some way of of what, what maybe, you know, some of the, the rustling undercurrents might be at an Uber where you, you have a machine with, you know, sensors in it, you know, interacting with the world over and over in a way where patterns can be determined, efficiencies can be optimized to the point where maybe at some point it won't be folks, you know, people in, in the Uber cars. If you've got your, your AR, you've got your uh, you know, laser guided systems for directing their eyes or going through sets of steps with different machinery, you know, at some point maybe we might develop dexterous robots with that same data that could do some of that work. Of course, maybe that would then open up more work for the management and construction of those right. systems. Is this how you guys would see maybe the evolutions coming that, that's along? The, yeah, that's what we see it happening. We've, we've done work with some other organizations on this and you can if you go through and look at uh, industries, you can identify uh, generally uh, in every industry we've looked at so far. We identify, we see positive job growth overall. The issue is that many times it's different jobs than it's just yes, today. Yes. So there's a very so we believe strongly in this people first approach yep. and the, this uh, the view that this is good overall for jobs in the, in the economy. However, there's a real fact that there will be some dislocations yep. because some of the jobs and roles displaced today are going to displace people who need to yep. you know, become relevant in, in the new world. Yep. And so there, there is a real need for focus on education and retraining. I think there's an obligation 
among business and uh, government educational institutions working together to make sure we're preparing the current workforce for the transition that's coming yes. and preparing the workforce that's coming for the new transitions. And I don't want to make light of that. That's a, a real issue, but I think it requires leadership from yep. you know, from, from business and institutions thinking bigger about the, the right way to, to drive this impact to get to the right goal. Yeah, and I think maybe something for business leaders to consider is, hey, you, know, you had mentioned, um, Paul, in your talk that governance from above may be rather slow. And that it might prove companies who have a lot of people impacted by maybe even this dislocation aspect to think through what those scenarios might look like and how they should, you know, ethically deal with it or, or you know, tailor and adjust education to people as they move forward so that, you know, they, they can avoid the hurdles that, that will inevitably come as we move forward. And, and hopefully, as you had mentioned, those jobs are refilled. I have my, my fingers crossed that making humans super is the case for a very long time before the superhuman. I, mean, I, th I think we've got some more uh, some some more regulation to deal with before that happens. Yeah, That's exactly. all we have for time, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the interview. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank Great. you. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.